people need your money mm. and uh yes it all belongs to god but if you can't if you have nothing to provide financially to somebody and some people don't but if you have a way of making capital and you're good at doing that for you know whatever god has given you a gift and you're you know you're taking the initiative to do that totally okay but giving money back to people you need to do it are you a follower of jesus that feels called to expand the kingdom of god through building and growing successful businesses if that's you then welcome to the kingdom capitalist show that interviews amazing christians using their business and money making abilities to expand god's kingdom all over the globe i'm your host ellis hammond and welcome to the show Welcome, everyone, to the Kingdom Capitalist Show. I'm your host, Ellis Hammond, and with me uh, today, I got a really special guest. I am really excited about Mark Kinney. Uh, I met Mark just a couple weeks ago at a real estate conference. Uh, He's a seasoned real estate investor, entrepreneur, and founder of the Think Multifamily. Uh, Mark, uh, his real estate career started over 20 years ago. Uh, he has now invested over 4,000 units. So, Mark, uh, we just share a ton, including our faith, including our passion for multifamily. So welcome to the show, my brother. Thank you, Ellis. I'm excited to be on. So let's get let's just jump in, man. Tell my audience a little bit about your story, your faith journey, um, and then this idea of a kingdom capitalist, kind of how your faith and your work uh, has, has really come together for you. Yeah, no. Um, so I... Grew up one of seven kids. I have a twin brother uh, as well. And my mom got saved when I was about five years old. Uh, she she came from a pretty pretty rough upbringing, you know, foster care, in and out of foster care. And a lot of kind of horrific things happened to her as a, as a child. So for her to uh, get saved at, a, at an older age, you know, for all practical purposes, um, when I was five, she would have been like 34. And... She was really on fire, and the the biggest thing that uh, she always instilled on us as as kids is character. Well, faith, obviously, but character, integrity, always in the right thing, no matter what, even if it's not easy, even if it doesn't result in in the way you expect or want it to result in. My dad, great guy, um, very well respected in the community, uh, probably, but not quite as uh, let me say, uh, he, he'd be a little bit more on the, Hey, if you tell a little lie, maybe here and there might be okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, my mom would be like, you know, absolutely not, you know, not even an option. So at a pretty young age, uh, she would always talk to us about God. And I was about eight the first time, um, I asked, you know, Jesus in my heart. And, um, you know, I would say if you want to say from not that, you know, I wasn't kind of a a real troublemaker. Uh, I I used to fight a lot. I don't know why, but I did, I did, um, but never really got into the, into drinking or smoking or drugs or anything like that. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that was necessarily all faith because my, you know, some of my siblings definitely got involved in all those things. But for me, I knew at a young age that, uh, you know, there was there was a God and in uh, but I there were certain parts of my uh, life, if you want to say that I would I would compromise on. Like, so I would be more like, hey, I can maybe tell a little little lie here and it's OK. Uh, and even though my mom taught me all these things. Right. But I still would kind of do that sometimes uh, up until probably 
I would say even until my uh, 20s. And I wasn't like, you know, out there lying all the time, but I would I would definitely skirt on that. And then I kind of came to the, you know, so different events happened, you know, like as far as family events, you know, people uh, either, you know, dying or, or things like that. So it kind of puts your perspective in like, you know, life is short and any day something can happen. And so for me, I just kind of, I made a decision that I'm not going to compromise uh, in, in any cases, no matter what. And it was a decision I made, but also, um, you know, I really, you know, we had a pastor too, always say, you know, who are you when nobody's looking? And that really stuck with me. And I'm like, you know, who am I when no one's looking? Am I, Am I doing things I shouldn't do? Am I talking the way I shouldn't talk? And that really kind of hit home with me. So I just made a decision that I'm going to do everything I possibly can to turn everything over uh, to God. And one of the biggest areas I struggled with was finances, turning finances over to God. And we didn't grow up with a lot. And, and that was kind of a, a struggle of mine. And and you don't know how you're going to turn out once you start getting more finances. And unfortunately for us, it, it's resulted in us being a lot more uh, giving than, frankly, I probably would have thought I would be, which is great. Um, then you have the other aspect, uh, your kids, turn your kids over to God. And I will, I'll admit that that's an area I still struggle with. Yeah. You know, I, I want to to do everything I possibly can for my kids. And, and, you know, some point in time, they're going to be, they're already you know, 15 and almost 12. So they're making a lot of their own decisions. But, you know, when people say, well, I just turn, you know, kids over to God, something happens to them, you know, it's uh, it God, it God's uh, hands. I'm, I still struggle with that a lot. That's probably in reality, probably my number one fear in, in my life is something happened to the kids. Yeah. Mark, um, did you, did you come, like you were talking about your parents, did you come from, were your parents wealthy and they clearly were hard workers, but what was your kind of, you said learning to deal with finances and God, what was your background kind of growing up? Did, did y'all have money? No. So my parents, as you said, very hard workers. So both of them. So I really got a really good work ethic by seeing it. And it was exampled you know, to me by both parents. As far as we definitely had, we had a place to live and we had food, which is a lot more than, you know, a lot of people in the world, but we didn't have any extra. So by the time I was 10, I was buying my own bicycle, buying my own shoes and clothes. We had cars, uh, every car my dad, I can remember him bought up until I was 13. It was like $500 car. He's always working on it, breaking down. Toaster would break. He'd spend two hours trying to fix it. And I remember just sitting there, my brother and I, you know, were super close, identical twins, and going, this, this is like, I don't want to be like my dad, having to spend his every night and weekend just fixing stuff, the washer, the dryer, whatever it was. So we, we never went without food, for sure. So we had everything we, we really needed and basically had nothing that we really wanted. You said at 10 or 12 years old, you started buying your own clothes and bicycle. How did you go get the money to start doing that at, at 12 years old? Yeah, we had, so my brother and I always savers, but we mowed lawns. By t I think we were eight, maybe nine. We started mowing lawns so made money from there. By the time we were 10, I think, or 11, we had a paper route. We had two paper routes, actually, so made money from there. So we didn't have a, 
a large amount of money uh, whatsoever, but we definitely made money where we could, you know, buy, we didn't have a lot of things. Like we would have like, no joke, three pairs of pants between the two of us. And I'm, you know, no exaggeration, you know, I mean, maybe like four or five shirts. So nothing, you know, out of the ordinary, but enough to clothe yourself. So yeah, we, we were, we were hard workers and, but we, like I said, our parents kind of instilled that in us. Wow. So that's an amazing background uh, and backdrop for what we're talking about today as well. So you said, you know, you, you came to Christ at an early age uh, you kind of had these values instilled with you. And it was one of the first things that maybe God had to kind of work with you and your finances and your relationship with him. I mean, walk me through that a little bit. Is that, you know, and the reason I'm bringing you on just for my guests kind of have a background. I heard Mark for the first time on stage at this conference and it was so evident to me. I did not know he was a believer in Christ, but it was just so evident to me that him and his wife, Tamil, who we'll hear more about in a little bit, like, you know, as Paul talks about the aroma of Christ, it was just evident, man, from, from you and your wife, kind of mm-hmm. what you have built with Think Multifamily, that this is a guy, I just, and I just knew it. I was like, I got to go talk to him. I, I know he's a brother mm-hmm. and kind of find out, of course, you were. And so I just would love to hear more about like double click on that moment or even that kind of wrestling through that. What, was there a mentor? Was, was there something you were reading? How did you begin to kind of uh, put God at the center of your work, even in, in your 20s? Uh, work for one, and then kind of the finances piece too. Uh, you know, I always, like you mentioned, kind of worked hard, but I started, you know, I had certain situations where uh, work was my identity. No question. I was, you know, I tell people, people like, oh, you're so good. at. I'm like, I'm good at a couple of things and that's about it. Okay. So a lot <laughs> of things I, I can't do. I can't play instruments. I can't sing. I can't do a lot of things, but a couple of things. And I was doing IT consulting and for whatever reason, I was really good at it. I mean, I was wired that way. I don't know why. I mean, I was just uh, pick stuff up way faster than everybody and uh, things like that. So when I was doing, you know, different work things, I was kind of, kind of conceded a little bit uh, about how good I was or got, like I said, got my value out of how good I thought I was. There were basically very few problems I couldn't figure out. And people would compliment me all the time. Like, oh my gosh, like, I mean, you know, whatever they would say, right? And it would kind of build my confidence, ego up. And when we had Ty, my son, which is, you know, 15 years ago, that and he was early too. He was like nine and a half weeks early. But that put everything in perspective like almost the moment he was born and it, you know, was kind of one of those things where I'm like, what am I doing? Mm. And I wanted to devote so much time to him and just, I wanted to be the best father I possibly could be. And it just took my focus a lot off of work. Now, while that is all being said, I still worked hard. I still would take on projects, you know, it could be a six month project. And I would say, you know, and they say, you have two months to do it. I'd be like, sign me up. I'll do it. And it took, you know, I would take time away from family to, to do that. But that really having a son or, you know, any, any child, I guess it doesn't have to be a son, but that was my moment where I'm like, you know, what am I doing? And I, I didn't have the desire deep down inside anymore to have affirmation from men about my job. Wow. And it's amazing to me because I, I didn't know I ever would be able to overcome that. And now it's like, yeah, we do a lot of things. We've been you know, uh, pretty successful, in a lot of different things, but it's such a non-issue to me. I mean, these people that are out there, you know, I always tell my kids, you know, 
<laughs> you know, and even in the Bible, right, where God, you know, favors the humble, right, imposes the proud. And if you're going to be prideful, you're going to get knocked down one way or the other. So and we had a couple of things like uh, I was doing consulting and I had a guy that basically owed me like one hundred eighty thousand dollars and didn't pay me. And I was you know, we were living off of credit cards and savings. And so that put things in perspective. We had to, we didn't have to. <laughs> we decided we, we really need to put our faith in God because this is like, I don't know how we get out of this. And it was hard to go through that. But I think going through a couple of things like that has helped me realize that end of the day, if I have a place to live and, and food to eat, everything else, yeah, they're, they're, things could be nice to have, but they're not required. And it really put things in perspective. And we got involved in charity about 15 years ago, an orphanage, and that really put things in perspective. These kids literally have, they don't have clothes to wear. It's not like, hey, they don't have a bike to ride or they don't have clothes to wear. And uh, that puts it in perspective, you know, really what we're, how spoiled we are. Wow. So does that transition us into, because I know you're no longer in IT, you're, you own 4,000 apartment units. At what point did you start uh, with with Tamil think multifamily or start investing in 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 real estate and why did you do that? Yeah, so we in my IT business was going pretty it was going well, uh, not pretty well, it was going well, and I would work probably you know minimum eighty hours a week, and that was kind of a light week, and I would sleep about three you hours a 80? night. Eight yeah, zero. Minimum, yeah, minimum eighty, like no joke. I never had a day off, and I would be you know I would sleep three hours a night consistently, not like once in a while. That was my pattern. And, and, and to me, I would agree. I was, you know, even though I was super busy like that, I still found time for the kids. And I was, in, in a lot of respects, still a good father. I was. And, and uh, kids would say it. Tammy would say that as well. But um, I was totally ignored to me. I was, and in my mind, I'm like, these kids are small. They're only going to be with us for, you know, 18 years. going to grow up so fast. So I need to devote my time to any time I have to them. Ignored to which caused a lot of issues, um, as you can imagine. I was traveling to and just had projects pretty much all over the world. And uh, but I was a good provider <laughs> financially with my dad. That was my dad. My dad was a good provider for what right. he could provide. And I was, you know, all practical purposes, a good father. And I would take kids to school and go to their different, you know, gymnastics and things like that. I was usually the one dropping them off, picking them up. Then we were, but again, ignoring uh, Tamil, and we were walking one day and she told me that she's thinking about leaving. And my first reaction was kind of like, uh, like on what basis, <laughs> you know, like, uh, what are you talking about? You know? Uh, and it was really more one of those things where she's like, you, you need to do something different. Uh, you know, I just, I can't keep living this way. And so I had to make a decision, of course, right. Either I keep doing what I was going to do, uh, work-wise or make a shift. And we had already been buying smaller properties on our own, uh, uh, certainly not enough to to quit my IT job and, and retire or make enough money even to to live at the time. So I mentioned to, to me, I said, well, we both love real estate. When she was 20 years old, we got our first place. I was 22, I guess, or whatever it was, and uh, young and love real estate. And a friend of mine that Tammy worked with her, uh, with his uh, wife, he was doing a syndication, which is a fancy word for, he was putting a deal, a department deal together, and he was raising money from other people to invest in the deal alongside him. 
So I, I did that. I'm like, this makes a lot of sense uh, to me. And I was seeing kind of what he could potentially make off the deal from a financial perspective. And I was kind of like, this is, this is it, I think. And I went to an event. Tim Meal was out of town with the kids. And then she went to the next event and she's like, this, this is, we're both like, this is it. This is our way out of, you know, my IT, whatever you want to call it, uh, fiasco. And it didn't happen overnight, but I said, you're going to have to help me, which she did. And she helped me a lot less than now she's, I tell her she works more than I do now. <laughs> and I said, you can, I'll keep working less. You, you keep working normal. <laughs> and, um, but it took us about a year. We looked at all kinds of things, franchises, self-storage, you know, mobile home parks, everything. And we landed on multifamily, which is really like the asset class. And we uh, found a deal and we syndicated it, raised money from other people and did a, we've done actually over 5,500 units now, about 4,500, but we've done over 5,500 units in, you know, four years or so. And that was kind of uh, after the third deal that allowed me to stop doing IT completely. And, and we started the educational piece due, due to some, you know, some uh, needs we saw in the marketplace of people providing coaching and things like that, that we thought was probably not quite up to par where it needs to be. And that's kind of how we started our, our coaching program as well. Yeah. Okay. So there's two things in there I want to ask you about. One, the coaching program and two, essentially why multifamily, um, Let's talk about multifamily. I'll come back to the coaching thing because this you, I love talking about real estate. If anybody knows me, and, and especially multifamily, and and this is the Kingdom Capitalist show. So we're you know we we want to help educate our listeners on really how to build wealth and create wealth and protect wealth, because um, that's one of our callings is to really be good stewards of that. So why multifamily, Mark? I mean, talk to us as as investors, why you landed on multifamily and why this is such a great vehicle for really building and multiplying wealth. Yeah. So I'm a kind of a very analytical type guy. I mean, CPA before I do an IT consulting, so fairly analytical. And I'm like, everyone needs a place to live. I mean, I, I knew that young and by 22, I was buying real estate senior in college. So I'm like, it made sense to me, but multifamily and let's say a little bit larger multifamily and it's, it's relative. But it just if you have a number of five units and above, we usually buy 100 units plus. But from an investment standpoint, if you do five and above, there's some reasons why you might do that. One is that the lender starts looking at it as a commercial loan, which is going to be non-recourse, at least for us, which means we don't have personal liability uh, unless you do something fraudulent. Of course, you're, you're going to have liability that way, but no personal liability, non-recourse. When we bought smaller properties, we had personal you know, liability recourse loans. The other one, when you start going five and above, is that just the way it's valued. If you look at a single family home, it's going to be valued based on you know the property next door and down the block and things like that. With a multifamily, without going into all the formula, it's a formula how you do it, but this isn't made up. But for every dollar I can increase my revenue or every dollar I can decrease my expenses, it's $16 of value. So literally, I increase my revenue, rent $1. Somebody in the market will, when they buy the property from me, will give me $16 for every $1 increase my revenue. You just can't do that. In, in, yeah, I mean, it's essentially a multiplier, right? You're, you're, you're right. buying a business at this point. You're not just buying real estate. You're also buying a business. And so the way that's valued is different. 
That's right. And yeah. it's across the country. It's not like, hey, just in Dallas where I live or just another city. It's the way it works. And the other one, we started buying larger. You know, before we were fixing toilets on smaller properties and hanging drywall. And I'm not even good at it, but we do it anyways. And when we started buying larger multifamily, we, we use third-party management companies. So uh, we don't have to deal with it day-to-day. The demand between the baby boomers and millennials, I think there's, you know, I think it's like 4.7 million more apartments needed by 2030. And then if you look at how it performed during, you know, 08, 09, things like that, and the, the class B and C, which is kind of the properties we buy, we don't buy the nice, you know, brand new buildings, but B's and C's, the uh, vacancy rate was, it still only got down to 8%. So it was still 92% occupied, even in that downturn. Wow. Uh, if you look at things like Fannie's foreclosure rate, I think it's below 1.5% on multifamily. So there is a lot of, in the loan, you'll get, tip, typically, you're going to get a higher proceeds on a multifamily loan than almost any other uh, real estate asset class out there, which means the lender, who's the biggest investor in the deal, they have more faith in it as, a, as an asset class. So you talked about 100 units or more, that's what you're buying. I mean, how can an investor, you know, they're hearing this, they're like, yeah, okay, the non-recourse thing <laughs> makes sense. How do I go out and buy a 100-unit complex? Yeah, it's a scary number for most people, for sure. Because I mean, what like what would that cost in Dallas? A hundred units? I know it costs uh, in San Diego, and it would be <laughs> a lot. Yeah, it's going to be maybe eight million. So you know, it's going to be a lot more expensive when you're at, but you know, maybe eighty thousand dollars a unit. Okay, so, so eight, eight million bigger than bigger than anybody's going to normally purchase for a a real estate investment. The average person. So that's why we we syndicate, and you know, if you have a partner that has a track record. It's really not an issue doing 100 plus unit deals. Uh, it's the capital side and the loan side, but that's kind of you know where we started. We had somebody we partnered with that had more experience than us on larger properties, and that allowed us to get into a couple of deals. And then we we started building our own track record, but we would have had a hard time doing it on our own. So some ways that you could get started is, I mean, like like for me, I got started raising money for deals. What are some other ways if you don't have that track record? Uh, could you talk about from someone who is a successful business person, uh, maybe has some capital or even net worth? What, what are some other ways they could get plugged in? Yeah, I'd say, you know, it all goes to adding value to somebody else. So one way and some of these ways don't require any money at all. So one way is to find deals. You're a hustler, you find deals. It's hard to do with no track record. So you typically need somebody else's track record to leverage, which is OK. Uh, you can put earnest money down. So sometimes uh, a syndicator, for example, might have money out of multiple deals and they're like, hey, I need to put 200 grand down as earnest money and somebody else comes in and puts earnest money down for them. Uh, the other one, which doesn't require any money on your own, is get really good at analyzing deals. So if you're more of a you know engineer type mindset or it might be or uh, things like that, you might like numbers. You can analyze deals for other people. That happens in our group on a regular basis. You can, if you have net worth, liquidity, or multifamily experience, you can sign a loan mm. for people that maybe don't have it. So maybe someone, let's say I go out and find a deal and the net worth is, you know, I need $10 million. I'm like, well, I don't have $10 million net worth. So I bring somebody else alongside me to sign the loan. Uh, same with liquidity. And the raising capital, as you mentioned, there's some. Legal aspects around that, but let's just say, you know, you bring capital to a deal, whatever form or fashion you do that, that's probably the easiest way to get involved. 
And the last one, I really would be along the lines of someone that maybe is more of an operational type guy and wants to do what's called asset management. And what they're doing is they're not doing the evictions and leasing, but they're overseeing the third party management company. It's called an asset manager. We have a guy that we we helped. He's 27 years old, did four deals in a year, quit his job. And now he's doing full time asset management. He started a business doing that. And he didn't have he didn't have money the time. So wow. not having money isn't really an excuse. I'd say it's always easier if you have money, but it's not an excuse not to be able to get started. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Those are incredible ways that people can get started. So, all right, folks, if you're not convinced of multifamily yet, you, you need to be right. I mean, we both <laughs> love it. It's a great asset class, but we can kind of get away from that. Um, I want to ask you kind of get back into Think Multifamily, the company itself, because what you and your wife and, and your team have built uh, really for me is just so encouraging. Um, I, I don't know if you started out trying to build a company where you're really discipling people, uh, but essentially that's what you're doing. I mean, you, 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 you have this component where you're investing in real estate, but you also have this educational component and your wife and I were talking off stage about just the opportunities that's created for relationships. And so was that your heart or was that your thought when starting that, or is it just developed <laughs> into that? And, and will you tell us what that looks like? I mean, we so much talk about generosity as a kingdom capitalist, right? In the sense, I think most people think, well, I'm successful. I make a lot of money in order to give money, which is good. Like we talked about the orphanage, but there's also something about building a successful business that creates this generosity component where you get to impact people inside your business. And that's what y'all have built. And so I just would love to hear about that. Yeah. So the answer for me would be no. That was not my intent. The answer for my wife to me would be yes, that was the intent because <laughs> it was her <laughs> intent. I'm very transactional. Um, I love the deal. I used to do a lot of projects. And frankly, I'd, I was brought in for a lot of projects that were in trouble. And I was there to fix problems. I, I really didn't, I don't say I didn't care, but kind of didn't really care about your wife and kids. I didn't. I was there to fix a problem that you're paying me to do. But to me, I always had, I mean, from the very beginning, we're going to build a community. And community is going to be like she used to say, we're going to do we're on vacations together. I'm like, who the heck's going to, want to go on vacation with us? I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, what? So she had that from the very beginning. Wow. As it developed and we kind of put that in place, I have done, you know, complete 180 uh, in, a, in a good way to where, you know, all our friends are from the group now. I've seen we, we do a cruise in, in June where we have kids come and we, you know, people from my group come and we all kind of hang out together and just have fun. And it has turned in and our attorney, uh, Dugan, who's, you know, one of my best friends I've known for 11 years. He told us he kind of early on, he's like, you guys kind of realize what you're building here. And I really didn't have an appreciation for it. And we're not building it by ourselves. Right. We have to have other people that kind of share the same vision and philosophy that we do. But we've that's what we've been attracting. And we've had situations, you know, just as an example, we were doing an event. It's, it's a two-day event, so it's fairly hectic. And it's a Friday night trying to set up for Saturday, start the next day. And we had a couple of guys in a group that, you know, from out of town, they came in and we just got talking about kind of marriages and, you know, some of the struggles they were having. And we sat there for literally an hour and a half nothing about real estate, just talking about marriages and, you know, kind of the, some, some of the stuff that we went through and kind of how we got through it and things like that. So those type of discussions never would have happened uh, if we were just all transactional and we wouldn't be doing cruises and we wouldn't be hanging out. We're going over our friend's house on Friday, along with some other people from our group as well. And going out, you know, we go to brunch every Sunday 
pretty much every Sunday with our attorney and his wife. So I would say initially I could have cared less about any of that. I really, in all, in all fairness, I'd be like, yeah, just do deals. And then as it kind of developed, and I now all my friends from here are from the group, and we have people in our group that are, you know, like our attorney's strong Christian, prays for us, we pray for him. And, you know, we, we need that as you go through different uh, cycles in your business as well. And we, we have a community of people that are, we consider leaders in our group as, that we will reach out to and for accountability, uh, more around the business and what we should be doing, not doing rumblings that it might hear and it, it all comes back to being open-minded realizing that you don't know everything by yourself you need help from other people and if we can do business with people that we want to do business with and then go out we will have like you know 12 14 people go out with us on a saturday and we'll go to uh you know a piano place or go to dinner and things like that so that was all that's all my wife tamil and now i i participate and i want to participate, but it's not the way I started out. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it's not just about, and I mean, you could probably attest to this, you know, you could maybe go make another couple million dollars, or you can really be around people you really love and enjoy doing business with. And that seems to be a lot more fulfilling than just going after the next dollar. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm so encouraged. I hope that gives a vision for our listeners uh, of just really what building a successful business can really become. All right. So we're kind of getting towards, uh, towards the end of this, but I, there's a couple of things I want to ask you about, and you've talked about your wife so much and in some ways she, she's kind of been the hero of this episode. <laughs> the same way. So I, I would, I would be so missed to not ask you about just what has that been like building a business, um, alongside of her and you know, how, I don't know, maybe even tips or advice or just things y'all have learned along the ways for others listening who are in business with their spouses or significant others. Yeah, it's been amazing for us. I think a couple things. Uh, one is that you need to value, whether it's your spouse or a partner, you need to value other, in this, my, in this case, Tamil's contribution. Uh, I used to think, well, I'm the one finding the deals, raising the money. I'm the guy analyzing deals and she's out kind of building this community and doing advance night, doing marketing. And I'm kind of like, who cares? You know, let's just go do deals. And so I didn't value her contribution. Reality is we wouldn't be anywhere near where we are right now if it wasn't for, for Tamil. And it's also contributed to people like, well, I, I really relate to, to Tamil which they, you know, a lot of women will more than, than they relate to me. But that's kind of been, you know, the other thing is if you have certain parts of your business, the person over that, it's like a department head, right? So if it's about marketing or Facebook posts, things like that, she has the ability to overrule me, if you want to say, and, and do what she wants. Um, she might regret that later, but, <laughs> but um, same with me. If I'm making decisions on certain things, she can question it and ask questions, things like that. But certain things, I'm going to make the decisions on it. And I won't necessarily always make the right decisions, but it's my area. And I know more and I'm more in tune with that area. So sometimes you just have to kind of sit back, uh, kind of close your mouth. Just like in marriage, right? The little things. And, and just really little things that really don't matter, whether it's in business or other things. I mean, it really matter 
uh, in the grand scheme of things. So just sitting back and then celebrating wins. That's something we don't do very much. We talk about work all the time. Every time we go out to dinner together, we're talking about work, which we like to do. And that's, that's what we, our passion is. But we don't really celebrate our wins as much as we should. And I would encourage people to, you know, to really take a step back. We're, we're kind of hard on ourselves sometimes. And we're like, man, we could be doing this and that. And then you take a step back and go, well, you know, grand scheme of things, pretty short period of time, um, what we've done, we've been able to help contribute to other people's lives and things like that our kids' lives, uh, and it's, you know, it's okay to, to celebrate those things. And I always right. feel guilty. I feel kind of guilty, frankly, about trying to celebrate something because I'm just like onto the next thing. Mm. Mm. I, I think, I think a lot of our listeners are going to resonate with that. I think it's, it's the gift and the curse of being an entrepreneur, right? In a capitalist right. when your, your, your gift is building something, and your gift is entrepreneurship or, or just having that entrepreneurial bent that it's really hard to slow down and reflect. And uh, so that's a really good word even for me today. So I appreciate that. Okay. What, what about, and, and we'll kind of move off your family after this one, but I'm curious, you, your kids are getting older. They've watched, you know, if you're go to, you're going to, you said you go to dinner and you talk about business. I'm sure you talk about it in the home a lot. I mean, how, how have you brought your kids into this and, and really teaching them about entrepreneurship and wealth creation? You know, I'm not a father yet, but, but aspire to be one one day and would just love to kind of some things you have learned over the years and really discipling your kids and teaching them about, uh, yeah, about entrepreneurship, about, about really building wealth. Yeah, I think for us, it's always been, I've always kind of have an entrepreneurial slant, even though no one else in my family really has. So growing up, even when their kids were little, I'm like, you can do anything you want. Uh, you don't even have to go to college. You don't have to do these things, but you need to be productive. When I was doing IT, they saw me work really hard and, and probably, you know, whether they noticed or not, probably ignored, ignored to meal. I don't know if they even knew at that age that I was. And I was just busy all the time. I took calls. I mean, almost 24 hours a day, no joke, between, you know, India and Australia and Switzerland, people all over the place. So when we started this business together, it was tough. We went through a couple of things that were really difficult from a business standpoint. We went through some situations where the outlay of capital was a lot higher than we anticipated. And our kids saw us go through that. We went through litigation and when and not to go in all details, when you know it's it's tough to go through that. But our kids always saw us one, sticking together. And two, uh, my son would be like, how are you not stressed about this and that? I'm like, in that point in time, I'm like, it is up to God because people, whether they agree with this or not, both Tamil and I, you know, I've never heard God audibly speak to me. I wish I have, but I haven't. But when we started Think Multifamily, the educational piece, we both knew in our hearts that God wanted us to do that. And reality is, if you ask anyone that knows us, we didn't want to start the company. We didn't. We had no desire to do it. And then we started kind of moving into slowly and things like that. So our kids saw all those things and they've seen now, you know, it's been pretty successful uh, in some respects, but they still saw us go through hard times. They saw us stick together and not get kind of, you know, upset with each other on certain things or not going there. They saw us go through litigation. And even during litigation, I never had any, if you want to say, uh, you know, I don't hate anybody. I never had any hate towards the other individual or anything like that. And my wife and I would even pray for him because I feel bad for him, frankly. It's a sad story, my, my personal opinion, what he what he's going through. But and now our kids, son more in particular, he's 15. He's gone through some more training material. 
He's very interested in the business. We haven't, we're not convinced whether he's really not interested in the business or uh, not interested in going to college. I'm not sure yet which, but he's, he's learning certain aspects. And I tell him, whether you decide ever to do multifamily or real estate at all, the things you're learning, you know, how to look at a deal or how to market, how to, you know, talk to people, things like that, that applies to every business, whether you're working for somebody or working for yourself, um, have partners, all those skill sets are transferable. So he's getting a lot more actively involved. He wants to be homeschooled for a while. He wants to, after his, he's a freshman this year and came home after about two weeks of school and said, uh, almost everything I learned is useless. So uh, can I homeschool again next year? <laughs> That's what he said. He said, I want, I want to learn more about the, more about the business. So we'll wow. see. All right, here's a great, here's a quick question. This is totally off, off cusp here, but I, I, this is a conversation my wife and I have a lot is, do you still think it's necessary or do you, are you still encouraging him to think about college or is, is it okay for him to go straight into the business? What, what are your thoughts right now? Have you had that conversation yet with him? Yes. We, oh, well, yes, we've had it. Uh, my opinion is he's okay coming right into the business. Uh, I just tell him that there is something to be said for someone that has a college degree because some of the jobs that are out there, it's required, you know, whether mm -hmm. it's right or wrong, it's just reality. If he can be productive and sustain and you know, we're not live, not being, you know, 25 years old, we're supporting him. Uh, I'm, I have no problem with him going right into business. Cool. Interesting. Uh, that, 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 that'll be a good uh, discussion. <laughs> Maybe our audience can can leave a review and tell us what they think about college. <laughs> well, take you know, take uh, take the two hundred fifty thousand dollars and put it away for them, and then right. you know, you know, do some math on it. It's going to add up to a lot. Ooh, man, we're getting some good stuff. <laughs> Anyways, so let's wrap up here. I, I want to ask you one last question. That it's honestly actually been as soon as we started talking, I've been I've been saving this question, and normally I, I ask you or I've asked my guests to kind of give me their best advice if they could go back to their 22-year-old self. But I want to take a little bit different route with you, if that's okay. Um, you have done now over, you said, 5,500 units. I think you have at least 4,000 nail under management. You've built this successful business. Um, but as what people don't know about you, you just launched a new podcast. Uh, you're, you're kind of all over the country going to some of these conferences and speaking about Think Multifamily. I mean, for... All intents and purposes, kind of looking at y'all, y'all really, a, like everybody talks about real estate investing, you can achieve financial independence. And I guess in some ways y'all probably have, but you're still going and and you're not just like creeping along, like y'all are going strong, right? You're really trying to build something out. And so what, what keeps y'all going? I mean, why not just kind of ride off into the sunset and, yeah. uh, you know, retire somewhere, somewhere nice. Why are you still out to really build something? Oh, that's a great, great question. So I thought by the time I was 40, what I thought I wanted was just to retire, go live on the beach somewhere. And the older I've gotten, and, and, and frankly, it's a little bit easier when you do have some, some capital and things like that. But it really does come down to leaving some sort of significance, whether that's, you know, with our kids, other people in the group or people that we meet at, you know, that meet at a meetup, whatever it might be for us. I can't just sit around and do nothing. I will get to a point sometime. I work less now than I've ever worked probably my entire life, but I still work a lot, but I want to, but I have a lot of flexibility when we have someone, comes in our group when they're new and they have some sort of 
situation where they're just they have a big why they want to get out of whatever the rat race and things like that and to see them go get a hundred plus unit deal and some people get multiple deals in a year and then you see them on their way within it doesn't happen overnight it took me three years which is actually pretty fast three years to quit my I had a fairly high paying you know uh, software company that i owned but to see that and then see how that's going to impact their kids and this is this is generational now and with my it business it just wasn't there with this is generational from a wealth standpoint and it's generational from a uh, family slash friendship perspective our kids are kids we're friends with other kids in a group and they hang out and, and things like that so to me that significance is uh is invaluable hmm. and on top of that is that we are in a better financial situation and we're able to contribute you know way more than we've ever contributed to sex traffic industry to orphanages and, and things like that people that we know personally have known for you know years that have started these orphanages um and that sex traffic industry here in in the dallas area a friend of ours started a charity for that so for us to be able to give back to that we went to a charity last week and wasn't even planning on going i can tell you dude we spent way more money tammy did actually on a silent auction on a, not a silent auction a live auction uh, outbidding these other guys uh it was a pretty expensive night but it was for a good cause and i never we weren't in a position to do that financially before so you know my mom who doesn't really have much money never has be people say oh well uh, you don't need any money and you know god doesn't need your money which i agree with well no but people do mm. people need your money mm. and and uh yes it all belongs to god but if you can't if you have nothing to pro provide financially to somebody and some people don't but if you have a way of making capital and you're good at doing that for you know whatever god has given you a gift and you're taking the initiative to do that totally okay but giving money back to people you need to do it Mark, let's go. That is the heart of Kingdom Capitalists right there. That was a gold nugget. Uh, that was excellent. And and I hope people really get that. Um, money can't buy you happiness, but poverty can't buy you anything, as I've heard as well. Uh, so that that's excellent. And I, I'm so thankful for uh, just your time here today. This was a lot of fun. T tell our listeners if they want to get know more about you or think multifamily, just how they can get a hold of you or learn more about you. Yeah, I'll just reach out to me. My email is Mark, M-A-R-K, at thinkmultifamily.com. And the website, just uh, thinkmultifamily.com. I'd love to talk to anybody who has questions on multifamily or whatever else they have questions on. I can try to help them. Yeah, awesome. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks again for your time and uh, look forward to the next episode. Cheers. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this show today. If you want to learn more about our community, you're going to want to visit us at kingdomcapitalist.co. There you can find info on our private mastermind and even subscribe to our newsletter to get updates on new shows. And last but not least, land opportunities to get private trainings and coaching calls with the guest of this show. If you're enjoying this show, please take a minute to leave us a five-star review and also share this with a friend. We'll see you next time.